too blessed to be stressed. Um, That shirt would never work for me. It would not fit, and I don't mean it would not fit me size-wise. It would not fit how I feel. Um, If I was honest about how I feel a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, I'd have to wear, uh, wear a shirt that says, too much of a mess to be blessed. Um, and that's not low self-esteem, and it's not self-deprecation. It's just simply the reality of what rattles around in my heart. And if you are honest just for a minute, if you were to, this afternoon, sit in silence for an hour without a phone, without a tablet, without a TV, with nothing to do, nothing to read, just you alone with your heart. I think you'd have to admit, you're a mess. You know, at at work, you may seem to have it all together. At school, you may seem to have it all together. On Instagram, you might seem to have it all together. Because you know the anger, you know the arrogance, you know the loneliness, you know the uncontrollable desires, you know the nagging doubts that are bouncing all around in your head and heart. And nobody but you and God know the mess that's there. And that's just it. Um, I think we wonder sometimes, how could God ever bless someone as messed up as me? And I'm talking to those who we would think, you're the best of the best. We all know. How could God bless someone who's as messed up as me? How could God ever bless a marriage or a family or a church as messed up as mine? This story is for people who know their mess. So if that's you, welcome. My hope and prayer this morning is that sometime today, this morning or today, that you will bend your knee to the God who blesses. Now, why would I say it that way? Why would I say bend your knee to the God who blesses? Well, it's because the Hebrew word for bless in its root, refers to the knees, oddly enough. And I'm assuming that's on purpose. Um, one uh, Hebrew professor said, said it this way. He said, the root word bless in Hebrew refers to the knees. And it seems clear that God was saying that he would establish people in a special relationship with himself, one that is characterized by being on their knees before the sovereign God. And so, think about it. This afternoon, maybe some moms are going to get gifts. Um, If someone wants to bless you with a gift, you put out your hands to receive it. Well, what the Bible is saying is that when God blesses you, you don't put out your hands, you bend your knee to receive it. You bend your knee before him to receive it. It's a posture of faith, a posture of trust, a a posture of desperate dependence on the one who blesses. And so this Hebrew professor went on to say that 
that like Adam and Eve, uh, people who are blessed by God were blessed like Adam and Eve were in Genesis 1. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. They were made to be a people who lived with a bent knee before their maker and father. In doing so, they'd have access to the presence and love of God. They would live before him in a posture of dependence and worship and service, and they'd receive from him unknown and wonderful blessings as a result. But, as we know, Adam and Eve lost the blessing. Genesis chapter 3. So rather than bend their knees in gratitude for all of God's blessings, they despised his blessings and traded the blessing of God for a quick and easy meal. And instead of taking a posture of receiving, they took a posture of reaching. And they reached for a blessing of their own on their own. And friends, like Adam and Eve, we all were made for God's blessing. We were made for true, deep, satisfying blessing of knowing God, knowing our Creator. But if we're honest, we would be able to admit how often we refuse to bend the knee to the God who blesses, to trust Him, to receive from Him what He wants to give us. So I'm wondering this morning, are, are you tired yet? Are you tired of reaching for a blessing um, of your own, on your own? If you are, I want to encourage you this morning, you're not alone. This family is just like you and me. And now as we get into this, it's going to, get, it's going to go dark for a little while and there will be light at the end of the tunnel, all right? So hang with me. Isaac and Rebecca and Esau were starved for blessing, but they would never bend the knee to receive it in a posture of faith. So we're going to look for a few minutes. If you want to put this in an outline form, there's two big points. We're going to look for a few minutes at the unbending knees of this family, and then we're going to look at God's unbending blessing the sovereign, scandalous grace of the God who is determined to bless his people. But first, I need to remind us, what is blessing and where does it come from? A blessing from God is uh, what scholars call a speech act. So when God created the world, he spoke and it happened, right? Well, that's what a blessing does. What is spoken happens and it cannot be reversed it's a spoken word that brings into reality the thing that is spoken and so you see that in Isaac's blessing of Jacob and that's why Isaac couldn't take his blessing back this is God's blessing and what God speaks will happen so that's what the blessing is, but where did it come from? The blessing that Isaac was to pass on to the next generation was the blessing that God gave to Abraham. So when God called Abraham to leave his past and give God his future, he said, I will bless you, and, I will, and you will be a blessing, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that sounds very similar to the blessing uh, that Adam and Eve had, but it also sounds very similar to the blessing uh, 
that Isaac gave Jacob in chapter 27. So, very consistently, all throughout Genesis, Genesis, God keeps giving one family this blessing to pass on, generation to generation. And they will pass it on until the promised one comes who will reverse the curse, crush the head of the serpent, and fulfill and actually bring all the blessing that God has promised to Abraham. And so that's the blessing that this family is feuding over right now. That's the blessing that God had given Isaac's father, and then Isaac, and now Jacob. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at their unbending knees, um, at the posture they had in relationship to this blessing that God was giving them. So let's look at uh, Isaac and Rebecca, mom and dad. I wondered as I read this, what happened to the Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 who bent his knees before his father's God and said, I will be the sacrifice? What happened to him? And what happened to the Rebecca who, like her father-in-law Abraham, uh, was willing to go to a land that she didn't know about. And she said, remember, she said, I will go. I will go. What happened to that Isaac? What happened to that Rebecca? Now we find them both refusing to bend their knees in trust and obedience to God in, in very different ways. And as I read this, I have to admit to you, it's, it's kind of chilling to me as I'm getting older to think that I could start young and trusting God, and I could end up old and just trusting myself and actually being found in opposition to God. It's something for those of us who are aging to consider. Well, Isaac, let's focus on him for a moment. It's just amazing as you read this story, and I encourage you to read it this afternoon, read it again. Isaac was snubbing his nose at what God had said about this blessing. We read it earlier. This was God's blessing to give, and yet Isaac is now acting like it was his. Uh, Isaac knew that the prophecy said that the older will serve the younger. And yet, here's Isaac trying to overrule the plan and prophecy of God by secretly planning to give the, the blessing to Esau. That's what he's doing the whole time. It's outright rebellion against the revealed word of God. And as I thought about it, how does that lack of trust, how does that uh, refusal to bend the knee to the God who blesses show itself in Isaac's life? There are two things. First of all, it shows itself in that Isaac was ruled by his senses. Did you notice that? It talks about what he tastes. It, touch, it talks about what he touches. It talks about what he smells. But Isaac ignores the evidence of what he hears. He recognizes this, is, this sounds like Jacob. He ignores what he hears and trusts what he tastes, touches, and smells. And I wonder if this might be kind of a parable or a picture of what Isaac has done with God. 
He's relied more on his own senses and his own appetite than on the word of God, the sound of God's voice. And so we too are tempted to think that blessing will come from trusting what we can touch and taste and see and smell rather than from what God says in his word. That's what it looks like to not trust him. Another um, way that not trusting God shows up, shows itself in Isaac's life is that in, in a tragic reversal of his father Abraham's example, Isaac loves his son more than he loves God. Abraham loved God more than his son. Isaac loves his son more than his God. As a parent, I can see how that can happen. I mean, as rotten as they can be, I love them, you know? And so, it's just a question for, for me as a dad, for you as a mom or dad. Will we, as parents... Bend our needs to uh, bend our knees to our kids' desires, or will we bend our knees to God's desires for our kids? All right, now we'll now we'll pick on Rebecca. Okay. Now Rebecca is in a situation where she seems to be more justified in what she's doing than Isaac. I mean, at least Rebecca is following the prophecy about her son, and she's trying to help the older serve the younger. Um, But she didn't bend her knee to God's timing and God's way to fulfill this promise. She didn't trust God to do it in his way in his time, so she tried to help him out. And I was thinking, so what impact did her refusal to bend the knee to God to trust him What impact did that have on her relationships? And the story reveals two of them. It undermined her relationship with Isaac, her husband, first of all, which she never calls him her husband. She always calls him your father. Um, She deceived him. Um, There's this disconnect between them, obviously. They were on two different tracks. And then the second thing it did was she, too, made a god out of her son. And yet she still lost him. You realize that after she sent him away, we don't have any record of her seeing him ever again. And I wondered, okay, well, we're picking on Rebecca about how her lack of faith in God impacts her relationship with her husband and her son, well, what could she have done differently? What might it have looked like? I mean, here she is in the situation. Esau is going to come in and steal the blessing that he's not supposed to get, that's supposed to belong to Jacob. What am I supposed to do, she says. God's not doing this. Well, I wonder what faith or trust or bending the knee might look like for her. Perhaps when she heard 
overheard the plan that Isaac had, perhaps instead of pretending like she didn't hear it and going and making another plan of her own, perhaps she could have had trust and faith in God and in God's word and his promise and taken courage to go to him and say, listen, this isn't right. You know what God has said. You, you heard his word. But we have to follow his word. You, you have to stop this. Together, let's bend our knees before the Father's will, before our Father's will. That would take a lot of courage. How is this patriarch going to respond to that? But she could have done that. And the other thing she could have done, obviously, is prayed and said, Lord, this doesn't look good, but this is what you said. You have to do something. And then she would have to watch and wait and let him do it, whatever it was. We don't know how God would have stopped uh, Esau and Isaac's plan. So those are a couple of ways that what faith may have looked like for Rebecca. Well, let's turn now to the boys. Esau. Um, Esau's heart in all of this is seen more in his response to not getting the blessing than anything else. So in verse 34, it says, As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. This man is 70 years old, and it sounds like a seven-year-old. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he lifted his voice and he wept. And I thought as I read that, what a haunting echo of my own heart. I've responded this way when God blessed someone else instead of me. Do you not have one blessing for me? What about me? Where's my blessing, Father? And then it gets even more chilling in verse 41. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So these responses are exposing a heart that wants the blessing more than it wants the God who blesses. Esau will not bend his knee to the God who blesses. And then finally we come to Jacob, who is the worst of the bunch. I mean, the other three are horrible, but this guy, I mean, Esau was kind of an oaf, right? Just kind of controlled by his appetites and whims and whatever and his impulses and emotions, even at 70. Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> um, he was not just smooth on the outside. He was a smooth criminal. Real quick, there's tons you could look at it, but him, but the lies. This is a three times he lies. In verse 19, he tells his father, just bold-faced lie, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. And then he steps up a notch in verse 20. 
Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And this is absolutely terrifying. Jacob answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. And when he uses the word Lord there, he uses the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. How did you do this so quickly, my son? Well, because the Lord your God granted me success. He took the Lord's name in vain. And then in verse 24, he said, Isaac said, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said, I am. He clearly, this is just clear, not trusting God. One commentator said, ironically, the blessing that Jacob steals is the one God destined for him all along. Jacob spends his energy trying to scheme and seize the very things God promised to him. (laughs) He's not trusting and watching and waiting for God to give him what he promised him. And it made me ask myself, how often do I try to scheme and seize the blessing that only God can give my soul? With each lie, Jacob hardened his heart toward God more and more and more and more. And Jacob, the one most blessed, is the one least willing to bend his knee to God's blessing in this story. So as I read about these four folks, I I see myself in the mirror of this story. Do you see yourself in any of these characters? And by this point, you're saying to yourself, possibly, well, well, Jimmy, thanks so much. You've made me feel like more of a mess than I did when I got here. If you're trying to help me, keep trying. But that's just the point. This story is not in the Bible to show you that you're less of a mess than you think you are. This story is in the Bible to show you that God is more merciful, merciful than you think he is. God's blessing to Jacob, God blessing Jacob is scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous. And it's not scandalous because God chose Jacob over Esau. That we get scandalized over the fact that God would choose one brother over the other. And that is difficult to deal with. But the real scandal is not that God chose Jacob. This story shows us that Jacob is chosen even while he's not choice. In fact, none of these people are choice people. None of them deserve the blessing. None of them bent their knee to the God who blesses. No, not one. The real scandal is not that God chooses some, but that God would choose any. And he chose the worst to make the most and make much of his mercy for sinners like us. That's the scandal of the good news about Jesus. Because God was so heaven-bent on restoring his blessing to his creation and his people that he himself came as Abraham's offspring, as Jacob's 
son. And he wrapped himself in our skin and he wore our sin. And in our place on that cross for Jacobs like you and me, Jesus fulfilled Rebecca's words, let your curse be on me. Praise God for his scandalous blessing. Praise God for his unbending, unbreakable blessing. Who wouldn't want to bend their knee to a God who blesses like that? So, one last thought. What, why would this help the people of Israel who are first reading this story? What, how would this be helpful to them? What did God, why did God want his people Israel, the children of Jacob, to hear this story some 500 years later? Well, it was not, not simply to remind them that the blessing of God that God has give them, given them is undeserved, although it is, and yes, he wanted them to remember that the blessing they have of being his sons and daughters is undeserved, but, but more so to remind them in the middle of their story that God's commitment to bless his chosen people and to bless the world through them is unbendable, unbreakable, unbelievable. And the same is true for a messy person like you and a messy family like yours and a messy church like ours. It's true. And so, how do we respond to such amazing news about God's unbending blessing? In verse 33, there's a clue to how we should respond. It's how Isaac responded. Listen to what it says. Then Isaac trembled. This is after he realized he had blessed Jacob and not Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and the, the Old Testament narratives don't usually talk a lot about the emotion of the characters. But in this one, it's very intense. Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. Scholars say that in that moment, it was a conversion moment for Isaac. He trembled at what he had done, and then he bent his knee to the God who blesses. Because he said, I can't believe this has happened, and it, it shook him. And then he admitted, he, he capitulated, he submitted, he said, Yes, and he shall be blessed. It's as though he realized in that moment, in spite of all my efforts to resist what God's plan is, God did it. God is the one who blesses. He's unbendable more than I am. Isaac was not the only one who was tricked that day and it was a conversion for him and, and we should respond 
the same way as well to the news that God is committed to keeping his promise to bless his people. We should tremble and we should trust. We should tremble at all the ways that we have refused to bend our knee to his blessing. To all the ways that we have reached for another blessing of our own on our own. And we should turn back and trust him again and bend our knee and say, Lord, you have the only blessing I need. And then this scandal, the scandalous grace of God will have several effects on us. First, it'll make us humble. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, he said. To know that you're chosen but not choice is humbling. And these days, isn't it true that the people on this mountain and the people in the valley, they need to see Christians who are humble? Do they not need to see humility? Secondly, it'll give us comfort and courage in his love for us. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul goes on and says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, God's chosen? I don't get comfort and courage from how well I'm doing. I get comfort and courage from how well Jesus has done for me. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It gives us comfort and courage that he loves us. And third, it'll give us compassion for other sinners like us. Paul said in Colossians 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts and kindness, forgiving each other. C.S. Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So to know this scandalous blessing of God for Jacobs like me is going to change the way I relate to other people. You want a renewed family? Bend your knee to God's grace for sinners like you and show it to them. You want to renew this mountain? Then bend your knee. Let us bend our knees compassionately and say to other messy people like us, if God can forgive and renew a Jacob like me, then he can forgive and renew you. Did you know that the God of Jacob is a title that it's one of God's favorite titles for himself? It's all over the Psalms. He's known as the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob. Why would he want to be known as the God of Jacob? So that we would know him as the God of Jacobs like us. If God can call himself the God of Jacob, he can call himself the God of Jimmy. And if God could call himself the God of Jimmy, oh, 
he can call himself the God of your name. <laughs> Father, thank you for this great, scandalous, sovereign grace of yours. For Jacob's like me, would you cause us to be amazed by it and to bend our knees before it and receive it from you now? In Christ's name we pray, amen.